right, hello City First. I'm so glad that you're here today, and whether you're joining us in person or online, I'm just glad that you are part of the City First Church family. And I have a question for each and every one of us. How many of you hate being delayed? <laughs> right? How many of you hate being delayed? I mean, whether you are on a flight and uh, you're waiting in the airport in the super comfy seats that are in airports, right? Or, or maybe you get boarded on the plane and then you just sit there on the tarmac forever. You just hate being delayed. Or how about you're delayed in traffic, right? You have to get somewhere soon and you hit traffic. Those of us that are part of the northern Illinois locations, we know whenever we try to get into Chicago, right at the Cumberland Interchange, which is the most poorly designed interchange on the face of the planet, that is when you hit gridlock and you start going like five miles an hour, right? Or if you're maybe like trying to get to school or you're trying to get the kids to school and, and there's someone in the left-hand lane, which by the way, newsflash, that's supposed to be the fast lane, right? The left-hand lane and they're going five miles an hour under the speed limit. And the whole time you're just going, oh, Jesus, 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 I want to keep my salvation right now, right? Or maybe you get stuck at every light, you know? Or, or how about this, if your, your package is delayed, you know? We have now the ability through Amazon and FedEx and UPS, we can track the packages. So when we order something, we know exactly where it's at. In fact, even a couple weeks ago, I had something delivered with UPS. And, and on the app, I didn't realize this, you can even see where the little truck is. And I'm like, he's coming into our subdivision. He's coming into our subdivision. That's amazing, you know? But then it's delayed. And when it's delayed, it's like, it's like the end of the world, you know? But I want, I want you just to remember what it was like like 10 years ago before we could do that, you know? You would order something and it'd be on a slow boat across the Pacific Ocean or whatever. It'd take a long time. Now, it just seems like when it's delayed, it's like, oh, the world is ending. Or, or maybe, maybe you're in a meeting and you're delayed in the meeting. For those of you that are, you know, you live your life in meetings or you have meetings, you, you, maybe you gotta get your, your son or your daughter to soccer and, and it's the last meeting of the day and this meeting is going on and on and on and on, right? And there's always, and for those of you who live in meetings, you know this, there's always that one person that likes to hear themselves talk in the meeting, right? Right? And you're thinking to yourself, you're thinking, bro, shut up. I got to get going, right? Delays are everywhere. And now we're even finding that when you order stuff, there's a delay. In fact, the church just a couple weeks ago, we just ordered a bunch of chairs, hundreds of chairs actually, for a room that we're remodeling here at the Spring Creek location. And it's going to take seven months for these chairs to get here. Now, now listen, this thing, these aren't special order chairs. They're just normal chairs. It's going to take seven months. And we were told because the supply chain is broken, all right? And I'm thinking to myself, I don't even know if I ever knew what a supply chain was before two years ago, right? But now I ask, who's in charge of this supply chain? Like, who's in charge of this thing? You know, in fact, here's a question. How many supply chain managers does it take to change a light bulb? You know the answer? None, because the light bulbs didn't ship, all right? So <laughs> that's kind of the world we live in, right? Well, uh, you know, it's been a crazy two years, and then uh, just the minute that we think that we're kind of coming out of the crazy, then now all of a sudden there's even a war happening right now in Europe, and, and, and it just, it's just crazy. In fact, do you know it was two years ago this weekend that it all started? Some of you are like, are you kidding? It seems like two decades. Well, remember two years ago this weekend, it was on March 15th, I'll never forget it, March 15th, 2020, 
that we were told that we couldn't have in-person gatherings, and that all of us were going into shelter in place for two weeks. Remember this? And in two weeks, COVID would go away. Wasn't that amazing? This has been the longest two weeks of our lives. I mean, right? And, and it's just crazy. And I would say this, with everything going on right now, whether it be, you know, kind of the end of this pandemic or now things are happening in Europe and, and the supply chain and all that, I would say this, it has been a battle to stay optimistic. It really has been. In fact, I've entitled my message today, The Battle, because it's what it is, A Battle to Stay Optimistic. And if you've been struggling with staying optimistic, today is your message, all right? In fact, I believe the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you today um, because this is something that I think a lot of us are battling right now. In fact, ironically, um, about a little over a week ago, I was prepping today's message, all right? So the message I'm giving you right now, I was putting it together, and I had carved out time. I was going to be on about a four-hour flight. It was about a three-hour and 50-minute flight, and I thought, I'm going to put together this message. And for me, when I'm on a plane, that's when I can really concentrate. I put on my noise cancellation headphones. Kids can scream like crazy. I can't hear them, and I'm able to just get a lot of work done. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to put together this message. Well, I get on the plane. I'm packed in there like sardines with 200 other people, and uh, we're sitting at the gate, and all of a sudden, the flight attendant comes on and says, well, you guessed it, we're delayed. And the delay was because of a mechanical issue. They'd found a crack in, in the, the body of the plane somewhere underneath. And, and the pilot goes, it's not a bad crack. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm like, <laughs> I'm sorry. If you're on a plane, any crack is a bad crack, all right? And they're like, it's not a bad crack, and they're just going to get somebody from maintenance to come out, and they got to get some sheet metal worker to come, and da-da-da-da-da. Well, anyway, one hour goes by. We're on the plane. Two hours go by, and I'm starting to lose my cool. I'm like, this is not cool at all. I'm starting to get frustrated, and then I'm remembering I'm prepping a sermon on optimism. <laughs> I'm like, I see what you're doing, Jesus. I get it. I get it. And so here's the thing. I realize that right now there are a lot of reasons not to be optimistic. And I would say that there are always going to be a lot of reasons, whether it's a pandemic or a war in Europe or something that happened before 2020 or happens after 2022. There are always going to be reasons to not be optimistic. And so today, I'm going to talk about that because there are frustrations, there's problems, there's circumstances within or outside of our control. Some are big, some are small, but they all seem to steal our joy. And they make us not be positive. And in fact, we turn from being optimistic to pessimistic. Do you know that no one is born pessimistic? Do you know that? Everyone is born an optimist, but somehow life makes us pessimistic. And so it's important for us to stay optimistic. And, and you say, well, okay, yeah, it is. I guess you could kind of say that's a principle of life. But, but actually, it is super important to stay optimistic. And here's the reason why. Pessimists don't change the world for the better. They just pollute it. In fact, they just poison it. In fact, an optimist changes the world. A pessimist just critiques the world. A, pe a pessimist doesn't change the world. In fact, there's probably nobody um, that you look to as a hero, whether that be in the business world, a hero of faith, or whatever, no one that you probably look to as a hero that's a pessimist. They're probably an optimist. In fact, you know, there are times that I'll be in meetings, 
and I'll refer back to a friend of Jen and mine uh, named Bob Goff, and I'll be in a meeting, I'll be like, hey, let's Bob Goff this a little bit. Because if those of you that know Bob Goff, you know he is the eternal optimist. And, and there are times that we need to realize that pessimism is something that actually steals the oxygen from the room. It doesn't add oxygen. And nobody wants to be called a person later on in life. It's like, oh yeah, they're just, you know, you're known for being pessimistic. You're known for being negative. You're known for being critical, right? No one really wants that. And so we're in this series called The Battle Within. And today uh, we're continuing this message. And throughout the whole month of March, we're talking about um, really our mindsets. We're talking about what goes on in our minds because what is happening in our minds basically then fleshes out in our lives. And I realize today you might say, well, if we're talking about things in our minds like, you know, mental health, like we're talking about depression, anxiety, and fear, and, and criticalness, and all this, uh, does optimism really fit into those categories? I would say yes, and here's the reason why. Because optimism and pessimism are two enemies at war in your mind. And your mind really is a battlefield. And you want to be optimistic because here's the reason why. More people tend to follow people that are optimistic than pessimistic. So if you want to be a person of influence, even in your family or in your business, or in your school. If you want to be a person of positive influence, you need to be an optimist. Also, optimists discover new things in life, where pessimists just critique what's already there. And optimists also can pull you out of the problems and the hardships of life, but a pessimist just keeps you there. So we want to be optimistic. And lastly, uh, there's this... Uh, you know, the study that was done at Duke University. So this is not a religious study. This was a, a college study done at Duke University, and they found out that optimists actually work harder and eventually make more money in their career in a lifetime. Isn't that interesting? That if you're an optimist, you have a better chance of making more money in your lifetime and having more resource. And if you're a pessimist, the opposite is true. That's not Jeremy DeWert's opinion. That's a study from Duke University which is kind of interesting. So here's the thing. Optimism starts in your mind. Because here's what we got to understand. A negative mind or negative thoughts equal a negative life. You cannot have a positive life with negative thoughts. It's impossible. And so Lisa shared a message last week, which was phenomenal, and also shared a verse that is going to be kind of our theme verse, you could say, for this month at it is this, Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7. King Solomon, which was, you know, back in the Old Testament, he uh, was known as the wisest person to ever walk the face of the earth in the Old Testament. And uh, this is what he wrote in the book of Proverbs. He says, for as he thinketh in his heart, or in other words, as a man or a woman thinks in their heart, so is he or she. In other words, how we think really produces the life we live. Our actions are a direct result of our thought life. You may know that, but today I want you to know that. I want you to understand that what's rattling around up here in your head really does determine the life that you live. In fact, Jesus says it this way in Matthew chapter 12. He's quoted as saying, a tree is identified by its fruit. So in this metaphor, think of your fruit as your actions, all right? Fruit is the actions, and the tree is your mind. So he says this, the tree is identified by its fruit. 
If a tree is good, in other words, if your mind is good, its fruit or actions will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. In other words, the health of the fruit is directly related to the health of the root. Does that make sense? So again, your life, your life is influenced in a meteoric way by the way that you think. And we need to start thinking about our thinking. If nothing else comes out of this series, if nothing else you get out of it, I want you to start thinking about what you're thinking. Because so many times, we just kind of go through life and we let the little voice talk, and we don't conscientiously understand that that voice is saying things that's framing our life and our worldview. And some of us have just become so used to the talking and the negative thoughts or the negative little voice or how we frame our life. It's just through negative lens. So many times that we just come so used to it, we don't even think about it. I want you to start thinking about your thinking. I have a question for you. Do negative thoughts come from you? Think about it. Do negative thoughts come from you? They're in your head. Do they come from you? If they do come from you, then who would choose to have negative thoughts? Because we do choose it then, right? If it doesn't come from us, then who does it come from? Who do these little thoughts come from? Well, if they're negative, I can promise you they're not from God. Because it says in James chapter 1, it says that whatever is good and perfect comes to us from God. So in other words, the way you could tell if something's from God is, is it good and perfect? And if it isn't, then it's not from God. So here's what I believe the answer to that question is. I believe some negative thoughts actually do come from you, and you should choose not to have them. But also, I think some come from the enemy of our soul, from the devil. I don't know how it happens. I don't know how he does it. Some of you might say, well, that sounds a little like a fairy tale, like some little devil whispering. Is it kind of like the little negative angel and positive angel, the little devil that whispers? Is that how it works? I don't think it works that way. But I do think this. I do think that he has influence in the way that we think. And I, I don't exactly know how that happens, but I'm going to go to John chapter 8, talking about the devil. This is what it says. The devil has nothing to do with the truth. In other words, the enemy has nothing to do with truth, all right? And there is no truth in him. It is expected of the devil to lie. In other words, he lies. It's who he is. For he is a liar, and many of you have heard this term. He is the father of lies. He's the OG when it comes to lying. Okay? He speaks lies into our minds, and I think he does this through the influence of culture, through the influence of social media, through the influence of, of, of maybe even people. Like, like, think about this. I guarantee you from your childhood, you can remember an experience where someone spoke something negatively to you and it stuck with you now maybe even for decades. All of us have it. I still remember a teacher that said something to me back in eighth grade. So here's the thing. Sometimes the enemy uses people. Sometimes he uses social media, culture, whatever. But he speaks something to us, and then it gets in our head, and it's like, well, it's like Groundhog's Day. You remember that movie with Bill Murray? It's like over and over again. You wake up, and it's just speaking it over and over and over again. So you and I must know the Word of God well enough to discern if what you are hearing is a lie or not. There has to be a standard. 
And, and, if, and he say, say, well, what do you guys believe is truth? We believe here at City First the word of God is truth. We believe that, that even though sometimes the word of God is hard to understand and sometimes it's very complex, we believe the word of God is the plumb line or the standard that we must measure our thoughts against. And if we're thinking something that is not in line with the word of God, then the word of God wins. Does that make sense? That's how we figure out truth. In fact, there's a, an individual by the name of Dr. James Giles, and he said this, and this is a great thought. Remember this, okay? He said, I've learned to talk to myself rather than listen to myself. Oh, that was worth your day. I'm telling you right now. Write that down. Put that somewhere. I've learned to talk to myself rather than listen to myself. Some of us were doing way too much listening. Instead, we need to start speaking the word of God over ourselves, over our minds. What does God say about your life? And you're thinking, I'm a failure, I'm a failure. No, no, the word of God says that you are more than a conqueror. Does that make sense? Or you're thinking, my future is dim, I have no hope. No, no, no. Bible says that God gives us hope. In fact, hope for a future, it says in the book of Jeremiah. So therefore, you speak the word of God over your life. Some of us are doing way too much listening. We need to start doing some more talking to ourselves. Some of you are like, I talk to myself all the time. Well, that's another issue, but you know what? Uh, well, <laughs> you see, I'll even personalize this for a moment. I believe every pastor, including myself, in the last two years has gone through a season of mild, some people, major depression. I believe it. And we're not the only, we're not the only like, career that has gone through that, okay? I, I, I'm just using it personally for a moment because I am a pastor and I talk to pastors, so I'm just using that as an example. But I would tell you, whether you're a business person or whether you're a teacher or a, you know, a, a first responder or a stay-at-home parent, I guarantee you've gone through your own challenge in the last two years also. But what do pastors do? Pastors gather people. They gather people like today, online, in person. We gather people, okay? And we talk about the Word of God. Sometimes we meet one-on-one, -on -one, but for the most part, we, we gather. Well, what couldn't you do during COVID? Gather. So literally, you took away the thing that pastors do, and all of a sudden, pastors started thinking a lot, and we became pretty pretty uh, introspective, many of us. And I talked to a lot of people, and, and, and a lot of pastors have said this. In fact, in fall of 2020, I had dinner with a pastor that if, if I said their name, um, I guarantee you that a lot of you would know who this person is, all right? And I'm having dinner, and this person said to me, they, they, they basically, and I'm kind of, uh, kind of summarizing it, they said that they were having a crisis of, um, of calling. Like literally, they were asking themselves, Am I even supposed to be doing this thing, pastoring, speaking, those kind of things? And I asked why, and they said because their church, now that they can't gather, they're trying to phone call and text message and email different people in the church, and no one was responding, and all of a sudden this pastor said, I came face to face with the reality of my skills and my leadership as a pastor looking at all these people that are no longer like responding or a part of the church and we don't know where they're at or even if they're still have faith anymore. And I started to think, I'm a failure. So this pastor said, 
I'm thinking I'm a failure. In fact, they even went on to say they, they live in a state that's very restrictive. That's a big deal for me to say, living in Illinois. But you know what? It was very restrictive during COVID. I mean, even more restrictive than what we've experienced here. And, and, and they said, you know, I'm not even sure if we're going to have a church when we're able to gather again. person went into counseling, um, went away for like two weeks to an intensive. And again, I'm telling you, you would know, many of you would know this person. You know what the enemy was doing? The enemy was lying because he's the father of lies, and he was planting seeds of negativity, discouragement, pessimism in my friend's mind, and guess what? Those seeds were starting to take root. And this is a person that even knows the word of God. That shows all of us are susceptible. All of us can buy into the enemy's lies. And that's not just pastors. It's tradesmen. It's nurses. It's teachers. It's accountants. It's every single one of us. We can give in to the lies, and he takes these seeds, the enemy takes these seeds, and, and they seem logical, and they seem like common sense, and then pretty soon, they start to take root, and after a while, here's what the fruit is. I want to give up. I'm no good. God doesn't love me. I'm a failure. I want to get to some other, like, career or life or whatever else that's better than the one that I'm living. In fact, uh, about week and a half ago, I was at a pastor's meeting that was pastors and business leaders. And it was a great meeting. It was a faith meeting, but, but it was like half the room, 50% were pastors, and half the room, 50% were business leaders from all different types of sectors of society. And there was a, a speaker there by the name of John Gordon. Now, he evidently is one of like the top five leadership coaches out there, you know, kind of like a John Maxwell and a Zig Ziglar back in the day or whatever, all right? Well, anyway, um, all the business leaders I was with, they were super excited to hear this guy named John. I'd never heard him before. I'd never heard of him. And, and one of the business leaders was like, oh, man, I tell you, he has this book called Energy Bus and all these, like, I mean, there's Fortune 500 companies that bring him in, NFL teams that bring him in, you know. In, in fact, he, he even um, personally mentors the coach of uh, the L.A. Rams and all that. Maybe that's why they won the Super Bowl. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, so all of this kind of stuff, right? And, and so I'm like, that's cool. Well, he, he's a person of faith. So John is a person of faith. And uh, he talked that day about five ways that the enemy works in our lives. It's like, whoa. So I'm like, I'm taking notes here because I'm talking about pessimism and uh, uh, you know, optimism. I'm like, oh, wow. So, so anyway, um, it, he, he basically said this, and I want to give you the five things. He said, this is how the enemy works. Doubt. If you start doubting. Distortion. In other words, you start having distorted thinking. Number three, discouragement, if you want to give up. Number four, distraction. In other words, distracting you, getting you busy over here. And number five, division. Division. These are really, really good things. So I thought, well, for today's message, I'm going to break these things down, all right? And I will say that if you find any of these five themes in your mind, and probably have, most of us have more than one, but if you find any of these five, I guarantee you that the father of lies is hanging out somewhere in the vicinity. Okay? So, so how do you become optimistic? Well, first thing you do um, with doubt is that you must think and choose trust. 
You need to learn how to trust in the areas that you find out. Now, again, uh, these, are, these are simple things to preach, but it will, take you, um, it will take you effort and challenge to actually implement these truths, all right? So, so the first thing is trust, and, and it says in Proverbs chapter um, 3, and again, this is, this is um, uh, Solomon again talking to us. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. I want to stop there a moment, and right here, just right there. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. I think it's easy to trust in the Lord with some of your heart, or a portion of your heart. Or it's easy to trust unless the circumstance is something that is pretty, um, pretty extreme. But here's the thing. The Bible says to trust in the Lord with all of your heart, which means you're all in. Okay, this is like Texas Hold'em, all the chips to the middle. Okay, you're all in, okay? With all your heart, do not depend on your own understanding. Oh man, how many of us put our chips into our own understanding? Now listen, your own understanding is not bad, but it's not perfect. And it has shortcomings and flaws and, and so therefore, we need to trust in the Lord and not just depend on our own understanding. Seek his will, in other words, his and he will show you which path to take. This is a verse that many of you need to either memorize or print it out and put it on your mirror or something like that in the morning because every day we need a reminder to trust in the Lord today with all of our heart. Do not lean on to our own understanding, but to seek his way of living, and he will show us the path that we need to take. You're going to trust something or someone. This is not a matter of, of trust. Some people go, I got trust issues. No, you don't. You trust something. You just have trust issues with the thing that you used to trust. Does that make sense? All of us trust something. So some of us are trusting our money and our bank accounts. Some of us are trusting our own intellect or our own abilities. Some of us are inordinately trusting someone else in, a, in an imbalanced way. I mean, you can trust other people, but, but hopefully you're not putting your full trust in them, right? In fact, the only person you're supposed to trust your whole heart to is Jesus, is Jesus. So if you have, um, in, a, in a sense, doubt, uh, work on your trust. Second thing is this, distortion. Distortion, well, then think truth. Think truth, okay? Because distortion is when you are not seeing something clearly. Now, here, here's an old saying that I used to hear a lot back in the old days, all right? But um, does a fish know it's wet? Think about it. Does a fish know it's wet? Probably not. Does a person know if they have distorted thinking? Probably not. Because when you think, you think you're thinking accurately. You, you, you think you're seeing it clearly. You, you, you think you're seeing it truthfully. It is very hard to discern if you have distorted thinking. It's very hard. So what do you do? Well, it says in John 14, Jesus told them, I am the way. What are those words? The truth and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Okay, so here's the thing. How do you know if you have distorted thinking? Well, you need to compare your thinking to Jesus. 
Now, I know it sounds simple. It almost sounds cliche. It almost sounds like I'm kind of, like it's a bumper sticker statement. But listen, what did Jesus do? How did he think? What were his motives? How did he live? You need to compare your thought life to him, his teachings, and to the word of God in general. And guess what? We will then be comparing our thoughts to truth. But also on top of that, I think another way that I do it is I find people who love Jesus, who serve him, not just can spell his name, all right? I'm talking like they serve him, they love him, and they love me. And I will ask them if my thoughts make sense. And so I will compare my thoughts to the word of God, to Jesus specifically, and on top of that, I will ask other people who I know are God-fearing and love me and love Jesus. Now, again, if they contradict I'm always going with Jesus, okay? Do you hear that? But you can find yourself trusting again, okay? Don't, don't be one of these people that's like, oh, I got trust issues, therefore I'm never gonna trust again. No, this is the thing. In essence, you're just saying I trust myself, <laughs> all right? So trust again. So third thing, discouragement. This is a big one. This one really was in spades over the last two years, discouragement. So what you got to do is you need to think and choose encouragement. Encouragement. Do you know the word encourage means to pour courage into? That's what it means. So when you encourage somebody, you're literally pouring courage into their soul. That's what it means. All right? So, so if you're discouraged right now, you need to find some people that are optimistic and that will pour courage into you, even if they say things that you don't want to hear, but they will pour courage into you. I remember, I don't have time to really talk about it, I remember when Jen and I first, you know, became the senior leaders of this church, and we used to do this thing, some of you remember this over here. After song one, we used to always come up together, and we used to hold hands, and we used to greet the church on behalf of Jeremy and Jen. We did it every single week. And Jen did not want to do it because she doesn't like stages, all right? I know some of you are like going, but she's so good on the stage. Well, doesn't mean she likes it. And, and, and so here's the thing. She had to be encouraged. Like I would sit there and I'd be like, babe, you can do this. All you got to do is look at everybody and say hi. And you can say, hey, if you've entered into this big building for the first time, we just want to honor you. And we want to just give you a round of applause. Thank you for being a part of City First. At that time, it's called Rockford First. And, and, and I just had to continue to encourage her. And there are other people, too, that were encouraging her. And guess what it did? It built courage inside of her. We don't have to do that anymore. I mean, I haven't had to talk to Jen like that forever because why? She now has courage. She can stand up here and she can kick some butt. You know what I mean? She can do it. <laughs> In fact, people are always like, so when's Jen speaking again? I'm like, now you're discouraging me. All right, I get it. What does it say in Joshua chapter 1 verse 9? God is talking to his servant Joshua and he says this, this is my command, be strong and courageous. This is a command. So listen, God commands us to be strong and courageous. This is not a suggestion. This is my command, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God is with you. I don't feel him. God is with you. I don't sense him. God is with you. He's with you. This is not mind over matter. He is with you. He sticks closer, the Bible says, than a sibling. He is with you all the time. Do you understand that? 
He's with you at the top and at the bottom, on the mountain and in the valley. Number four, distraction, distraction. Oh, listen, if you are distracted, think and choose purpose. See, if the enemy cannot destroy you, he'll distract you. He'll get you tempted, he'll lure you, he'll get you off course, he'll make you live by your feelings, he'll make you think that money and things will bring bring to happiness, or the right person in the White House will make everything better, or guess what, If, if this happens in your life, if you had a better spouse, he'll get you distracted. He'll get you distracted. And here's the thing, you gotta remember your purpose. One of the best ways to become optimistic is to continuously focus on your God-given purpose. In fact, there are studies that are done that if you struggle with depression, you have a better chance of overcoming depression if you have a purpose that burns white hot inside of your heart. That every morning you get up and you're like, this is my purpose. Lastly, number five, division. Oh man, and has the enemy worked this one in America? right? In my lifetime, I've never known us to be more divided. Now, maybe when I was young and I just was aloof and I didn't know, <laughs> but, but I'll tell you what, as an adult, I've never seen a nation more divided. And, and here's the thing. It's the work of the enemy. It's the father of lies. So what do you do? You choose unity. Unity is not uniformity. It does not mean that we all think and act alike. It means this, that we are going to have certain core values that we say are important, and we unify around those, and we give grace about preference. Does that make sense? So the enemy is always trying to divide. He's trying to divide you from God. He's trying to divide you from each other. He's trying to divide you from your family or your spouse or your kids or your parents. He's trying to divide you from your faith or you even from yourself. Do you know that the word anxious, the English word anxious, comes from a root word that means divided. So if you're anxious, it means actually you're divided. Which, by the way, allow me to one time say again, next week, bring every friend that you know, every coworker, every student that is a part of your school, because my good friend, one of my best friends in the entire world is going to be here, Sean Johnson, who has openly said he battles with depression and anxiety. He just wrote a book called Attacking Anxiety, and he is going to be here, and he's going to be talking about how to win the battle against anxiety, and I want you to be here. It is going to be phenomenal, all right? So watch online or be here in person at one of our locations next weekend. Um, Sean will be here, and I cannot wait. As I close, there was a story about an older gentleman who's a grandpa who took his grandson fishing. And as they were fishing, grandpa said to the grandson, grandson, I want to let you know something. My whole life, there's been a fight inside of me. No one can see it, but it's been in here. And I liken it to a fight between two wolves. One wolf is, is evil and angry and greedy and jealous and a- arrogant and, and even cowardly at times and, and all the time negative. It's a negative wolf. And the other wolf is a positive one. It's full of love and modesty and generosity and honesty and trustworthiness and, and is optimistic. It's positive. It's full of faith. But these two wolves, it's like they're fighting each other. And, and here's what I know. 
I know that that fight has been there ever since I was your age. And I guarantee you, you have that fight inside of you too. In fact, he went on to say, I guarantee you that everyone has that fight. The fight between negativity and positivity, between fear and faith. And the grandson waited a moment. He said, hmm, so who wins? Like, which wolf won, Grandpa? And he goes, well, the battle's still going on, but I'll tell you who's winning. The one that I feed. And the one that you feed is going to be the one that you win that wins. In other words, the one that you decide to give your attention to, to build, to feed, is going to be the one that is going to win. It's an ongoing battle, my friends. It's not something that you win one time. It may get easier over time, but it's never totally over. And so I want to leave you with this today. Optimism is a choice that eventually becomes a habit. It's like going to the gym and working out a muscle. At first, it's weak, but the more that you work it out, the stronger it gets. Optimism is a choice that becomes a habit. And before I pray for you, I'll tell you this. The best way that you can build your optimism and to build your faith is to be right here at City First. Get involved in a life group. Go to Growth Track and show up here every single week because it's like building that optimism faith muscle, all right? And over time, you'll see the world different. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray right now for my friends. God, help us to be optimistic, but more than just kind of grinning and forcing it, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would empower it. Help us to be full of faith. Help us to be people who walk around seeing our world through your eyes, through your word. And Lord, I just ask that if anybody today is battling pessimism, may today be the day where there's a line of demarcation that they cross over and say, today they choose to build a new habit. Oh, they're not going to be perfect. There's going to be times that they're going to slip back into that rut thinking. But Lord, may they get out of that rut of pessimism, and I pray that you would build crazy faith inside of them. I pray that they would see the world through faith. We love you in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen, amen.